Hey, it's Salma, your host of the Passion Podcast. We've had a lot of you asking when will Series 2 be released. So whilst we're busy planning and recording for that, we wanted to bring to you some slightly different episodes with experts in their fields. We have Simon sharing all the tools on mastering your mindset and Karen and I discuss how to find the perfect career for you. So for today's episode, Simon Capron is a mindset coach who's helped high-performing sports competitors give it their A-game. He's coached great British athletes, professional footballers, golfers, tennis players, cricketers, snooker and pool players. He's written for several publications, including Tennis Life magazine, SMP Pool magazine, Gold Punk and UK Tennis magazine. He's an author of two books and appeared in the BBC documentary Race for Rio. Oh, I think I need to catch my breath. I absolutely loved chatting to Simon and I know you're going to love this episode too. He lets us in on the methodology he uses to coach GB athletes along with a whole host of techniques to help recalibrate your brain and body. It's a good one. Buckle up and welcome to the show. Hi Simon, welcome to the Passion Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. As you know, um, I reached out to you because I really value the work you do in the mindset coaching and I thought it would be really helpful to get someone on who understands the brain and who can help our guests who may be struggling with things like limiting beliefs and just going for their passion to really understand what's going on and and share some of your wisdom on on how we can help um, improve that mindset. So I guess, first of all, if you could share a little bit about what it is that you do, a bit about your background, um, and especially about the sort of journey with um, the sports people that you've worked with and how that's led you into the work that you do. Yeah, hi Selma. Thank you so much for the for the invite. It's 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 great to talk to you, and I really really appreciate this. Um, so my name is Simon Capon, and I'm a master practitioner and trainer um, of a psychology called NLP or neuro linguistic programming. And um, essentially, uh, I became involved in NLP when I was when I was 16 years of age. Um, I was lucky enough to play snooker. Um, on what they called the YTS or the youth training screen, which essentially meant that the government would pay me for a whole year to play snooker. And uh, the outcome was to become a professional, which didn't quite work out that way. But it was it was a fantastic year because the one thing it taught me was or it kind of fascinated me really as to how I was able to practice and and feel absolutely fine and then enter a competitive environment Mm -hmm. and kind of literally fall to pieces. And I thought, this is just ridiculous. And my coach pointed out one day and he said, look, you know, you're the same person and the table and the queue and the balls, everything's exactly the same. The only thing that's changed is your mind. And he said to me, and that's your problem. You'll have to sort it out. (laughs) And he left me. And he left me with some frustrated, perhaps even angry, but very, very confused thoughts. And that, I think, planted the seed as to what was the difference. And I thought, okay, so if my mindset has changed, what's changed? How can I get it back again? What can I learn from this? But it actually didn't happen um, until I was sort of in my mid-30s. Um, and then I, I kind of, you know, discovered NLP um, and understood more about mindset and how we can use our mind and our physiology to change the way that we feel. And if we change our behaviours, and obviously we change our results. Mm-hmm. So I first started to work with people who wanted to kind of, you know, lose weight or give up smoking. But I just found that they were so half-hearted and I was struggling mm-hmm. really to connect with a lot of those people. And then I started to work with sports people and all of a sudden, I had this environment where people who had goals and a passion for what they wanted and were working with me. And I, and I just was in the, the most incredible place, really. And I thought, this is where I want to be. So for 15 years, really, I've been working with sports people. And it's only fairly recently, <clears throat> excuse me, fairly recently where I've started to work with people outside of the, the sports um, 
So, um, and, and, and they could be people who are struggling with their uh, personal lives, business lives, relationships, all sorts of things. But equally now, I think because I've had the experience of working with sports people, um, that I'm, I'm just kind of more equipped to, um, to, to help them so that they do achieve the outcomes that they want. So I hope that answered the question in a very, very long-winded way. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And I think it's it's super relatable because I'm exactly the same. And, and I've said this on previous podcasts, like when I'm doing the preparation work and when I chat to the guests before the podcast and all of those things leading up. And even in, in general day-to-day, I have conversations all the time with people, right? But for some reason, when I get to the podcast, when, when the record button goes on, and when I you know, see that person's face, <laughs> and start, it's like something happens and suddenly I can't think anymore. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. So, so I think it's really relatable <laughs> across kind of all arenas. And, and you know, I can imagine anyone that's kind of, performing in some way or, or even mm. showcasing their yeah their abilities and their skills will struggle when it comes to game day or you know the time of recording yeah. a podcast I think that's that's super relatable what have you found has been the kind of biggest sort of challenge that sports people face or or maybe even a, a better question is what what do you find why do you think people face those challenges when it comes to to game day? What changes in their brain? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. And something you said just then, which was um, incredibly important, was that you know you can have discussions with people, which is absolutely fine. That's almost kind of like the, the practice scenario. And then it's podcast time. Now it's work time. Now you've got to get some value. It's almost like you put the pressure on yourself. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you now have an outcome. <clears throat> you now have something that you want to get from this conversation. And I think that that happens for us always, that when we have um, an outcome or a goal, and we're always told to have goals, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely, yeah, that, that is most certainly true. Before you do anything, you need to know what it is that you want at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But very often is when we think about just the result, then we start to create apprehension and anxiety because there is that possibility that you might not achieve it. Something might go wrong. What am I going to do if it does? You know, all of these questions start to pop in your head. So, so what I did is that I, I created something called the circle of excellence. And you'll, you'll see lots of different variations of this. But if you can imagine a clock face, and if you were going to say that where the, the 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock at the top, mm-hmm. if you were to imagine the word state okay. and at three o'clock, it would say um, energy. Mm-hmm. Six o'clock, it says actions. And nine o'clock, it says results. So a probably better way of explaining this scenario is to give you two quick stories. And one of them starts with myself. This was probably 20, 25 years ago. And I was asked to play in a -a five-a-side football match. Now, I have a firm belief that I am probably the worst footballer, (laughs) five-a-side, 11-a-side, that's ever, ever been created. It is appalling beyond belief. I'm sure that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Good job you're good at the snooker. We can't be good at everything, Simon. I say that, but honestly, the football is appalling. (laughs) So um, so I I was talked into playing into this five-a-side match, and the guy that spoke or, or talked me into it, I said to him, so who are the other three members? And when he told me, I just knew this was going to be nothing short of disastrous because they are three or four very, very competitive people. When I asked who the opposition was, I knew this was going to be war. You know, this is nothing friendly <laughs> about this. These, these were two, two teams that were desperate to win. So I knew I was the missing link. So my state was one of anxiety and apprehension and dread which meant that I tapped into virtually no energy whatsoever. You know those feelings when you just feel so nervous that you just kind of feel the energy just zap out of your body, which meant that my actions were really quite poor, which gave me a predictably bad result. It was awful, which reinforced my state that this is something to be apprehensive about. Now, just about a year ago, um, my my 10-year-old, 
uh, Rowan, who has unlimited enthusiasm for just about anything. Um, and I asked him if he'd like to run in the Ireland um, Junior Cross Country Championships. Now, Rowan is no runner. Okay, he takes part in a lot of sport, but he's not really a runner. Um, but again, he said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Can't wait. When do we go? I said, it's Sunday. Great. So we got to the venue on Sunday. He's jumping around like Zebedee. I mean, he just <laughs> cannot wait to actually start. So he wow. said with a state of, of excitement and enthusiasm, oh. which meant that he was tapping into an incredible amount of positive energy, which... Um, and, and his results, so his, his actions were as good as they could possibly be, which actually gave him um, quite a good result. I think he finished fifth, which was amazing, amazing. which reinforced, yeah, it really was, which reinforced his state um, that this is something to be excited about. So at this situation, you can say, okay, I've got four things to think about. I've got my state and my energy, actions, and then, of course, my results. But the reality is, is that if you can place your attention on your states and your actions your energy themselves so now all of a sudden we've just kind of placed our focus away we know the result we want which is great and once we know that outcome putting it to one side and just placing all of our attention onto our state and our actions it allows us to increase the probability of a much better result rather than just keep going over in our minds over and over again and keep reminding ourselves of what it means and how it's going to feel to fail and get it wrong and all of those things so so yeah it's state and actions and perhaps we look at state in a moment yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that makes total sense because I think you're right when you when you get to be an adult. I don't really know at, at what stage this happens, but it seems at some stage you you grow up and then suddenly it's not about enjoy the enjoyment or the process anymore. It's like what is the end result? Am I going to get the job yeah. if you're going for an interview? Am I going to you know perform really well at whatever it is that I'm 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 trying to do and and it's it's quite sad really because it, it does feel like that whole process of of you know of doing the race or you know of yeah. just being excited about the race is is taken away the the fun is almost zapped out of it which is yeah it's a shame Completely. I wonder yeah. at which yeah. point that yeah. changes but I guess maybe it comes with do, do you think it uh, uh, maybe this is like a crazy connection but maybe you know when you go through school you're constantly being I guess judged with things like you know your grades and and maybe once that kind of process starts you then are sort of conditioned to believe that you know unless you get the top grade or unless you even in a race right like it's it's kind of crazy that 10 year olds even get like you know first second third fourth fifth like you know, really, they should just be running and enjoying. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's kind of yeah, mad that we're constant. It feels like there's this constant comparison and this thing to achieve by doing the thing that you actually yeah. just love and want to do. If, uh, yeah. if that makes sense. But, but it, yeah, absolutely. You are you are so right. Um, and I think it, it comes from there's there's a part of our brain. Um, which we call it the emotional brain just to make things nice and simple. Um, but it is a very, very primitive part of our brain. So it hasn't really evolved since, since we were primitive people. Um, it is partly our fight, flight or, or freeze response. Um, so when we're faced with a situation, um, we will often, you know, go into fight mode. Possibly we will go into flight, which is run away from the situation or freeze, simply mm. stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Mm. Um, but it's prime directives, interestingly enough, are to make sure that you don't fail. OK, so again, this goes back to a very primitive age where if we were you know, hunting um, to survive mm. and we consistently fail to land a successful hunt, we will, of course, starve. So this part of our brain still sees failure as something which must be avoided at all costs. It also feels that there is safety in numbers. So it likes us to be part of a group. So it feels that being part of a group is something which is, you know, there's some security there. So you'll get this. Um, so, so for instance, if you're at a party and uh, with, with a group of people, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, I've got a great joke for you. Mm -hmm. And you... 
tell the joke and you just give that punchline and you know it's not going to come out right and everyone just stands at you they just stare and think why why was that so funny and automatically you just want the ground to open up and just wish you had a time machine to take you back about three minutes (laughs) why did i do yeah why did i share that joke especially when it's yeah exactly when it's like something that you're not sure, like, are people going to take this well or not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And we've all done this. So, so for me, it was kind of going back to the football scenario, you know, to, to, to be in a, in a situation where I knew I was going to be the weak link, where I knew I was going to fail in that game in front of other people, essentially said, whatever you do, do not pick this guy again. He is worse than useless. <laughs> so, you know, that was going through my head and it's just the worst feeling. So that all comes from this very primitive part of our brain. We call it the emotional brain. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that you know, over time, we can actually feed that part of our brain with very different information. So we, we give it a complete, or it gives us rather, a completely different response, you know, and, and that, that comes about with things like, um, so, so I think the old way of thinking was that um, we take in information or accept information through our five senses. So we see something, hear, touch, smell, or taste something. We then create an emotion which is in line with the um, information that we've just received. But of course, that that can't be right because you could have three people who go to um, go to a theme park and they're all being taken to the biggest roller coaster in the park. And one, yeah. So, <laughs> At so <Thorpe> park. <laughs> I'm not. I, you know, I have to. Conv- uh, roller coasters aren't really my thing. So I would be the first one. Who would- <laughs> In, and be absolutely terrified. Oh, me too, me too. I, I hate, I hate roller coaster rides. <laughs> sorry, I'm interrupting no, your story. No, so you and I are definitely number one. We would okay. look at that and completely terrified. Mm-hmm. The next person might look at that and say, "Is that it? It's just a ride. It's the most, you know, it's it's so nine to five. I can't even be bothered to look at it. <laughs> so it doesn't bother me." And then you have the third person who says, "Wow, I just love stuff like this." So all of a sudden, we have um, three people who have experienced exactly the same situation, but have three very, very different um, mindsets towards it. Mm. So this comes through something which I call programs. So our programs are things like um, our beliefs. Um, and our attitudes, decisions, ex- experiences, really, really important, um, and language. So like the way that we, we describe um, situations can often um, change our perception of them. So what happens is, is we take information through one or more of our five programs. It goes to these programs. So these programs are built over our lifetime. So we build beliefs. We've had experiences. Um, We've learned to apply language to different situations. So it goes through all of these programs and the information in the programs then gets fed to the emotional part of the brain, which will create an emotion which is in line with the programs rather than the original information, if that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, Yeah. And then we have have an emotion and it's likely from there that will trigger a behavior and the behavior will always get as a result. So it's going back to that same thing again saying we, we know the result that we want. Now we have to go back and, and change the state. And one of the ways of changing the state is through our mindset, through changing those programs. So as I said, you know, things like language, um, looking at a situation and using different language. So um, uh, an, an example of that would be, so I was working with an athlete um, who was a GB athlete and he was a sprinter and he had... Um, I suppose a respect, but no, it was more than a respect. Actually, it was a fear. It was a fear of Jamaican and American athletes. And I said to him, so where does the fear come from? And he said, have you seen the size of them? They are absolutely enormous. And he looked at himself and he said, look at me, because I'm nothing compared to them. So, okay, so the story he's telling himself is that he is really quite weak and they're like, they're just a powerhouse. So there's only one way this is ever going to turn out. Mm-hmm. So we, we got him to um, change the language that he used to describe them and himself as well, to the point that he would actually get on the track. And in his mind, he would look at them and he would say to himself, you guys, I'd better bring your A game here today. Wow. Because 
for you to produce your best means that you're going to push me like you've never pushed me before. And that's what I need because I don't need the medals, but I do need a good, a good time today. I do need a PB. So it's your job to produce your best to push me. And he would get on the start line. He would look at all of them and you just get on the start line. And, and he would, as, as the gun fired, he would, he would just kind of in his mind. So he was a 400 meter runner. So he would just track them down. He would look at the guy in front of him and he would, he would call him the victim. So he'd say, <laughs> and as he went past him, he would say, <laughs> now, but once that, once he'd gone past that guy, he'd look at the next one and he'd say, victim number two, now I'm going to track you down. And we even had something in place that when he, he went to first position, instead of just kind of just getting across the line and just getting the win, we would have something called the humiliation stage, right. which is meant that when he went into first place he would then try and make the gap bigger and bigger and bigger and humiliate the field now as soon as he f- crossed that line that was it he turned into the nice guy again Shook yeah. everyone. Uh-huh. but on, on that once he stepped onto that track he just turned into what we called the beast the beast and the beast was all about kind of explain he was telling himself what he was about what his job was, what he, he was taking it from, he knew the result that he wanted, but mm-hmm. now he was applying language that it was all about the performance Makes rather sense. than going, oh, please let me win. Just get me win. Please don't bring your A game. Hopefully everyone else will be rubbish today. Blah, 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 blah. Instead, yeah. he just took all the focus and insisted, insisted that everyone brought their A game. So mm. if they didn't, it was an added bonus. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. So now he's into kind of fight response. So now he's, he wants to attack it. He's, he's looking at stress. And stress mm-hmm. essentially is saying to us, get off your bottom and do something. Yes. And this is what he was doing. This is exactly what he's doing. He was attacking the situation. And he began that with, um, with language, which had an incredible effect on his beliefs and his attitude. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of where we start with it, really, with, with, that, with that mindset. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing that story. What I'm interested to know, so that's that's in a kind of, I guess, really what you've done is helped him shift his inner voice, right, from yeah. from a place of fear, anxiety, stress, to a place of essentially embracing the, 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 the whole journey and, and what yeah. he's about <clears throat> to, like you say, attack and fight. So two things. One, so is fight then the state that we want to be in when we're sort of things outside that the comfort zone. challenges? Yes, exactly. Yes. Things outside yeah. the comfort zone that we want to do. Like, for yeah. instance, you know, one of my future goals would be to do a live interview. Right. But that would be okay. completely outside of my comfort zone. But uh-huh. I want to do it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is 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 fight fight mode the mode we want to be in and also the other question is in can you do this in the same way for yourself rather than because that situation it was almost like it was his inner voice but it was about the players right the 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 athletes the the fellow runners but for instance my fights my inner fights it's not about others it's it's more about myself yes yeah Right. Absolutely. Yes, mm. it is. Yeah, I can put, and again, Sam, it's a really good question because um, as we said, this that you know, stress is when we get stressed, we feel agitated. It's very difficult to kind of sit still mm. when, when you're stressed. It's almost like you want to pace pace around. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this before, is that you know, five minutes before, you know, maybe a podcast or maybe it's like a driving test yeah. or um, an exam. The last thing you want to do is sit down, you know, you just want to pace the floor. And the reason that is, is because stress is saying to you, make a move, do something, because it feels that once you make, once there's movements, then there's a chance we can, um, we, we can, you know, have a successful outcome. Whereas when you sit there doing nothing, I mean, there's a guy that once said, I'd run, a, I'd rather run a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction than stay still, because if I stay still, then nothing changes. And, and I think he's got something there because even if you're running in the wrong direction, there will be experiences that you know you can learn from. At least there's a chance you're gonna go in the right direction. So I, I think number one is understanding what stress really is, which essentially is, um, is something, it's telling us to, to do something, to make a move. You may have even noticed this in the past where you know the thought of doing something was worse than actually doing it. 
So it might be, it might be like a driving lesson, a first driving lesson. And the day before, you know, you are so nervous. You can't sleep the night before and you get in the car and all of a sudden you start moving. And, but maybe, you know, your, your attention is taken up with the process, um, but it doesn't feel as bad as it did before you actually got in the car. And, you know, may, maybe that's for some people on you know, things like roller coasters as well. But by actually, you know, activating some some course of action, doing something is, is number one. I think the other thing is when we spoke about states, um, I spoke about state being having two two parts to it. So there was the mindset, which is about, you know, the reactivating the programs or re or reloading the programs with new data. The other thing is um, is physiology, which I think can come in really, really helpful because there will be situations where, you know, you, you have to take action, but you have to sit down. So it might be I'm about to sit the exam. OK, well, that's fine. We're about to get the paper and pen and, and ready to take action. But you need something because your body wants you to move. It wants to do something. So using physiology, I think, is, is a great way of um decreasing anxiety um, and changing your state very, very quickly. Is that something you're okay with me to share that? Yeah, I was just, yeah, I was going to say, how, how do we use physiology? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'll I come up, again, a, a story which was more about what you can do before you actually enter the exam room or before you enter the studio. So this could be, so this, this goes back to um, a training which was many years ago. Um, and I was uh, attending a, a seminar in Scotland and we were told that there was an American speaker who was going to take the latter part of the morning session. So this guy came in and I'm sat at the front row. I was always the person that got there first. I mean, I was just so, so enthusiastic and, and still nice. am, but I was, I was the guy at the front. There was this lady sat next to me and, and this guy walked in and he probably walked across the stage, which was no more than about 15 metres maybe 20 meters at the top, but not very far. Mm -hmm. And all he did was he put his hand up and he said, good morning. And he walked across the stage and went through the next door. Now, the lady next to me said, now there's a confident man. And I said, you're absolutely right, but how did you know? And she said, I don't, but he definitely was. Now, five years later, I was fortunate enough to be asked to share some ideas on stage in Leeds. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the American presenter, he was uh, presenting a keynote a bit later in during the day. And I was lucky enough to share a flight back with him to Southampton. Mm. And I said to him, I don't know if you remember, five years previously, you um, delivered an, an amazing training for us in Scotland. And he said, I remember it so well. Um, he said, I was having the most disastrous day. And I said, really? I said, well, tell me about your disastrous day. He said, well, I'd only flown into the UK a few hours earlier. And sadly, the airline had lost my luggage. And I got to the hotel and they double booked my room. He said, so I have nowhere to stay and no luggage. Didn't really want to present that day. I said, OK. I said, that's interesting because you seem so confident. And instantly he said, well, of course I'm confident. I'm always confident. And I said, OK, so tell me where the confidence comes from. And he said, it's all in my physiology. He said, look, he said, before I come, I, I, I come out to present, um, I always make sure that you get all of me or you get none of me. And I, I love that. It was 100% or nothing. Mm. And secondly, he said, I make sure that I'm stood tall, proud, shoulders back, head held high, chest out. And every single step, every single gesture is one of certainty. Mm. He, said, he said, did I come out in the morning or the afternoon? I said, it was the morning. He said, in which case I would have said, Good morning. <laughs> wow. You just said good morning. He said, I didn't come in and go, hiya. Nothing certain about that. He said, mm -hmm. I put my hand out and I say, good morning. Nice. And everything I do is certain. And I thought that's exactly what he did. That's, that's precisely what he did. Mm -hmm. And I found that you can change your state so quickly by mm -hmm. just focusing on, on your posture. There's yeah. something simple as that, you know, just putting your shot. You'll see it all the time. You will see people in the street and you'll think, Okay, there's a confident person. That guy, that girl, they, they, there's something about them. And other people, you know, instantly that they're probably not really feeling it that day. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's like, incredible, isn't it? yeah, when you're sort of yeah hunched over. And as you said, that I've sort of sat up tall in order to <laughs> assert some more confidence in the conversation. But it's true, and it's it's crazy how it how it can make you feel just 
just changing that that posture slightly because yeah if you're sat you're hunched and you know you feel you feel small and you you don't feel confident but absolutely yeah, yeah it, it yeah. makes sense and that's such a great easy tip that people can take you know it, instantly it's, it's... It is. It's so, so simple. And you, you can. You're absolutely right. You, you can change in a heartbeat. The, the other part of this with physiology is, um, is breathing. Mm. And, and breathing is absolutely fascinating. But of course, when you tell people that you're going to teach them some breathing techniques, it doesn't really set them on fire because mm. it doesn't sound particularly <laughs> interesting. However, um, there's, there's a few ways of using our breathing to... Um, to, to adopt a much more kind of calm state, I suppose, is, is the best way of putting it. Um, and one of them is whenever you notice is that if when you're anxious, the likelihood is, is that your heart is going to be beating a lot faster than it normally would. Now, what happens is, is that once our heart starts beating um, quicker, then it, it sends a message um, to the brain. Okay. Um, and the brain will begin to shut down um, the frontal lobe. Okay, so now the frontal lobe is in charge of things like, um, but its, it's role is within our memory, um, our attention, motivation, decision-making, all of these important tasks. So it begins to shut that part down and activate our survival response. And right. the reason it does that is because when the heart starts beating faster and we're saying there's a problem, something's wrong, we need to enter survival response because again, it's likely that we're gonna be facing a situation where we need to respond with instincts rather than you know think logically about this. So in other words, if you're being attacked um, by, a, by a predator, you perhaps don't want to just stop and think and think, okay, now what species is that? <laughs> yes, it's that analyzing of, the predator. You yeah. just, yeah, you just want to react, right? Exactly. It's, mm -hmm. it's freeze, run or hide. It's the fight, flight or freeze response. We just need to do something. So it mm. actually starts to close down that part of our brain. So when you enter the exam, is it no wonder sometimes you think, it's like my mind went blank. Yeah, foggy brain. Yeah, exactly. And that's because the heart, and it all stems from, from the, the heart palpitations. So the first thing we can do is understand how to calm that whole scenario or, or that, that whole situation. And we do that by slowing down the heart. And the most effective way of doing that, or certainly the most effective way that I know of doing it, is through diaphragmatic breathing, which is essentially breathing from the stomach. Okay. Mm. So we find that in, in stomach area are where the calming receptors are located, but higher up in the chest are, are um, uh, sort of, that, that's, where, where, that's where panic is, is created. So if you notice that, you know, some people um, kind of breathe sort of from their shoulders, you can mm -hmm. see they're nervous, you can see the shoulders moving. So we've, we've got these kind of stress receptors um, at the, the, the higher end of our, our, our chest there. So, the first thing we need to do is to activate the calming receptors, which are in the stomach. Now, if you were to put your hand on your stomach and, and one on your chest mm -hmm. and then breathe normally and just notice which hand or maybe both hands, just notice what, what moves. Is it yeah. both hands? Is it one hand? Yeah, because since you've been talking about this, I've been consciously trying to do the diaphragmatic breathing. <laughs> so my stomach is moving more now, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So the reason you only put your hand on your chest and your stomach is because if you're going to place your focus on, on breathing from the stomach, it just helps you kind of putting your hand on your chest and hand on your stomach and just focusing on the on your hand on your stomach moving rather than the one on on your chest mm. so the way i look at it is that you know as as you breathe in you just feel it like a, a, a balloon expanding and as you breathe out you can just feel it uh, just just go back in again yes so yes. yeah so here's his thing is that if we can or as we adopt a more rhythmic breathing okay so the rhythmic breathing for me is something like I, I breathe in for four and then I exhale for five okay now this could be different for everybody so it could be you know breathing in for three and exhaling for four breathing in for three exhaling for three it makes no difference as long as it's smooth 
as long as it's got a rhythm and as long as it's consistent okay so if you can if you can focus on maintaining that constant rhythm it will then slow down the heart rate which will then send a signal to the brain saying all is good all is well, absolutely fine. we're yeah. not being attacked by a predator exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's incredible it's, it's amazing how quick that can work but there are situations where you're suddenly faced with a situation where you weren't expecting it and you need something very very quick so again in a, in a sports scenario um, this can happen at any time. So it could be a footballer taking a penalty. Didn't realise he was going to get a penalty. It's nil-nil. It's a 90th minute. Score and your team win. All the pressure's on you. Mm. So again, here's, here's another way, which I, I, I don't know of a faster way of relieving anxiety. So this mm. is how it works. Okay. It's that you breathe in twice and breathe out one continuous exhale. So the way I do it is I breathe in through my nose. So I go, don't know if you can okay. hear that. Yeah, I can hear it. I'm doing it too. I don't know if you can Just hear me. Yeah. yeah. And then breathe out continuously through your mouth. So you exhale through your mouth. So okay. I feel, yeah. I feel super calm. All of this breathing, I feel, I, do, I, I could just sit back now. I'm like, no nerves whatsoever, Simon. I'll chat to you all day. <laughs> this podcast will never end. <laughs> so, so by adopting that, so that, that two breath in one out, mm. if you continue that for literally just, just two or three, so breathe in twice, out once, and continue that two or three times. Now, oh. interestingly enough, if you then move your eyes horizontally okay side right. to side for just a few seconds and i'm talking kind of five maybe 10 at the most but five should be enough so if you have that two breaths in one out continue that for for two or three and then move your eyes sorry, horizontally side okay, to side so following the breaths right yeah yeah okay. and then, and then activate that eye movement side to mm -hmm. side and then you will find that the anxiety has has certainly um, diminished significantly, and then you can then adopt that diaphragmatic breathing okay. to just keep it going. This is wonderful it's, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's and there, there are so many things. There are so many so many ideas that you can bring in, um, but 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 essentially that that's where everyone should start because mm. there's nothing faster. And it's fairly new actually. And the idea behind moving the eyes from side to side is mm. that there's, there's a huge amount of, of work going into this. And this was, this was looked at back in the nineties, I think. Mm. Um, but everyone kind of dismissed it and said, well, that's just rubbish. That can't possibly work. Mm. But it works along the lines of, when we said that um, when you're stressful, the one thing that you, you need to do is to take action, to move forward. Mm. And when you take, when, when you move forward, although you don't realize it, you're not consciously aware of it, because as you move forward, things are going past you left to right. It's in your peripheral vision. You, you, are, you are taking, you know, you, you are, um, you're, you're taking action. So, so when you move your eyes, yeah, when you move your eyes from side to side, it gives the same perception that actually right. there's movement. Makes so yeah sense. so your brain actually thinks that you're yeah you're moving forward you're taking action so exactly. you're essentially you're tricking that. your brain right that's exactly that's, right that's what these techniques do they help you yes, to, indeed. yeah and yeah. just out of interest i mean I, I know you're not like an evolutionary expert but <laughs> do you do you think that we'll evolve out of these kind of redundant we don't need fight or flight anymore no do we? no you're absolutely right we don't it's it's the it's that part of our brain that hasn't really evolved mm. but but what what happens now is that so it, it understands that or pretty much understands we're unlikely to be attacked by a predator right so it has okay this, so it puts these spotlights on anything at all just to make sure that its presence is felt so you could perhaps you know lose your keys and you mm. think i had my keys 10 minutes ago mm -hmm. but all of a sudden you can't find them and anyone that comes out with any stupid comments like, well, <laughs> they be where you left them, yeah. just really, really gets much more than it normally would. So you yeah. start to get into um, a bit of a panic. It becomes annoying. You might feel a little bit aggressive. It's like, where are they? Mm. And as soon as you find them, as soon as you find them, it's kind of, it just all calms down again. You think, what was that? And that's because, again, is that that's a frontal lobe 
is is being shut down we've gone into survival mode which is this is serious we've got to find something this is life-threatening we know it's not life-threatening but as ridiculous as that sounds that is essentially what's happening with that that survival response in that moment Mm, sure and and do you think that or have you experienced with the clients that you've worked with that by adopting these techniques into your daily life can you completely get rid of anxiety can you completely get rid of those feelings of you know fear essentially yeah. I, I think i think you can certainly by by having the, these skills in place when it strikes you have a way of dealing with it mm. um and if you build them in as a belief it certainly um rewires your brain it does, it drastically reduces the chances but i think it would be uh, ambitious to say the least to say yes. that you <laughs> they're, they're forever gone but but I mean like I guess the example you use with the GB athlete right it's like he's completely reframed his his wiring now and I, I I'm sure if he has like an off day he he probably slips back into those beliefs of like you know all oh, these guys Absolutely. are much bigger than me but then yeah. then he knows to switch on you know, no, exactly. bring your A game, bring your A game. And yeah. I guess if you tell yourself something enough times, and I, I'm a huge believer of this, you know, I I really believe that you anything that you want in life, and maybe again it's ambitious, but I I really believe that you can achieve anything. And I'm a big fan. I don't know if you follow like Gary V. Um, yeah. he's kind of like a a no BS, <laughs> like you can do anything. And you know, obviously I think, you know different people obviously depending on your upbringing and you know the privileges you have and haven't had of course you know we've got different starting lines but ultimately you know yeah I I do believe that you can you can achieve a lot maybe not absolutely anything um but you know I I don't think with my mind I can make my hair blonde I probably need to go to a hairdresser (laughs) but who knows there's new developments now in like quantum (laughs) physics and stuff (laughs) maybe that's going a bit airy fairy but no this is this has been super 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 useful, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from those techniques that you've shared. Yeah. Is there anything else, Simon, before we start to wrap up that that you wanted to share um, that you think would 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 help? Yeah. I, I think there's there's one there's one other part which is about our beliefs, mm. um, because our beliefs kind of sits almost unconscious. So they they have a huge impact on what we feel that we can. You spoke about limiting beliefs earlier, um, and it has a huge impact on what we believe we can and and perhaps can't achieve. Um, And to give a very, very quick story, there was a a basketball player. Um, He was 16 years of age, and his name was Greg, and Greg was built and designed to play basketball. So Greg at 15 was kind of like six foot two, I think, had incredible eye to ball coordination, very, very quick on his feet for somebody so tall. Mm. And he was at a junior level, it was like boys against men, really. I mean, he just dominated the scene. And then he joined um, a, a national league team. Um, and all of a sudden it was, oh, I'm, I'm the junior now. And But he had an unlimited enthusiasm. Now, the reason he joined that team was because he felt that the coach was possibly the best coach in the country, maybe even one of the best coaches in Europe. So he had a huge admiration for this guy. And he joined the club and the first couple of games were he was fantastic. Then they had a period of about four matches where the team's performance was was awful, actually. And they were getting they were they were they were getting heavily beaten. And on the fourth match, um, they just finished the game again, a heavy defeat. And the coach came straight up to Greg on court. So this this is this is not this is not private. Mm. Oh, excuse me. And um, and he looked in. <laughs> he looked up at him. <laughs> he looked up at him, and he said something on the lines, which is, "Today's performance was absolutely terrible. Your game was pathetic. I have to consider your future, and any more like that, and you could be out." And he just oh. walked. Off. That's horrendous. Yeah, it was. It was awful. Mm. And so Greg went home and did something that we all do, Mm. which was he mentally rehearsed exactly what the coach said Mm. 
Mm. He thought about the look on his face, the way he, he walked up to him. Mm-hmm. And, How and it made f- him feel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he went over and over and over it. Now, the problem is, is that by mentally rehearsing what just happened, our brains cannot differentiate between something which is vividly imagined and something which actually happens. Mm. So to his brain, he wow. is he's having that talk 20 times an hour over and over again. Now, because he's mentally rehearsing it, his belief program is saying he's absolutely right. We're not as good as we thought. We could be out. We are pathetic. And the career could be all, all finished in, in no time. Mm. So when I, I met up with Greg, I explained to him, I said, okay, you need to understand something really, really important. I said, what the, I said, what do you think the intention of his um, speech was? And he said, I've no idea. I said, well, obviously his intention was to somehow to motivate you. Yeah, which is crazy to think, but clearly he needs to do some NLP training, this coach. (laughs) You know, interesting enough, I work with a guy um, in, in the States, actually. And he said to me, he said, when I was at primary school, if I was last in the race, if my mum shouted out, you are absolutely useless. He said, somehow, he said, somehow, (laughs) something in me and I would, to prove my mum wrong. Really? (laughs) And I thought, obviously the coach had the same mindset. It is that kind of old school, tough love, isn't it? Very much so. Very Mm. much so. So I, I said to him, I said, so his intention was somehow to, to motivate you to regain the form that you showed. In, Absolutely. In he said, okay. So, so you have to remember the intention, not what he said, but what his intention was. I said, so now you know the intention. What should he have said? And he said to me, he said, well, if he had said something along the lines, which was, you know, we win together, so we lose together. Um, when we get this right, well, essentially we will work together as a team. As a team. Yes. exactly and we will get your form right you're a class act and that has not changed if it said he'd said something along those lines mm. he said oh, that would have made me feel amazing he said right mm. I, so what we did was that we we created a new movie in his mind which was the coach coming up to him and just putting his hands you know on, on his arm and saying right and just delivering that speech now we created that over and over again now he did say to me the problem is that's not what he said i said i know but remember the intention that's the important thing so what you've done is you've taken his intention which is the important fact but now we've created a story so that it works for both parties so the coach gets what he wants, you get what you want. That's now, that, that, took, that took a little bit of time. And there was a few days where he just went over and over and over again. But cut a very long story short, it took a couple of games, actually, but they did regain form. And, and the last time I spoke to him, things were going very, very well. Nice. So it, it's just interesting that whenever we create a belief about something we can and can't do, and very often it's based on maybe a one-time event, um, we just mentally rehearse this and create a story and this movie in our mind. If you think about it, you know, if you see a movie which upsets you, you could be excused for watching it once. But if you watch it 30 times a day, then it's your responsibility to change it. So change it to something which, which gets you to, to take you to the outcome that you want and understand what the components are to make that happen. So again, it's just it's just using our minds in a more productive way or or a better way so that we can enjoy the outcomes that we want rather than the ones that we don't. Absolutely. And I feel that story is so powerful because beyond as well, just the Greg's kind of outcome on the field that I imagine would improve his relationship with his coach because it brings an element of understanding in rather than him sort of you know sat playing you know this kind of oh my coach is you know not very nice and you know this you know because that could lead to all kinds of you know he might leave the team and you know you can only imagine but actually if you go and it's I think that's something that all of us could take on board in every aspect of life to sort of go what was that person's intention and usually the intention isn't bad because we're all trying our best and we all want really the best for each other so if we can you know generally speaking um yeah yeah but it's absolutely right a really powerful story to yeah help us you know even you know things like parents and what you said there like you know the the sort of the mum who shouted you you know you're useless it's like <laughs> it's actually that that I think that's kind of how 
that our parents or perhaps grandparents' um, generation were taught to motivate their their yeah. children, and that you know it feels like that that was the way. And I think our generation now uh, approaching things in a much more kind of compassionate way, and you know, um, with with more of a kind of encouraging tone yeah. built in. And yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's super powerful. Can I ask Simon for that method in particular? Would you recommend sort of working with that one-on-one with someone you trust, or is it something? How how do I practically reframe that in my mind? Do I just yeah. sort of go home and start telling <clears throat> myself another story? Yeah, I think yeah, I think actually writing it out is is very very underrated but incredibly important. Um, you know, kind of writing down kind of the, the way that you feel about something. So having somebody, having somebody to, to talk to, like, as you say, someone you trust, someone who will kind of listen to understand rather than listen to to reply. Yeah. So, you know, having someone who you really trust, who can take that information on board and help you process it. And, of course, um, design and produce um, a, a, a new scenario, if you like, which benefits you. Um, mm-hmm. and helps you create a, a new belief but if you want to do it, on, do it on your own that's that's absolutely fine but I would always say right get, get your ideas down on paper nice. because you know just keeping them in, in your mind it's difficult I don't often find that works particularly well but I think getting the the, the situation down on paper yes. and then looking at ways of you know using the intention but in a, in a more productive way a way that works better for you and again writing that down on paper and then creating. See, it does, it's not something that has to happen in just a few minutes. You know, this could be a process over, you know, hours, days, or even weeks. Sure, but it, sure. it, it, it's, it's worth the time invested. There's, there's no question at all. Absolutely. And, and for those of you listening, you can also, of course, work with yourself, Simon, on, on these kinds of, um, you know, issues. And, and actually, I wanted to touch just briefly because I noticed that you had an incognito style program and I thought that was amazing um, if you want to just explain a little bit more about that I can massively see the benefits for people who you know maybe feel a bit insecure and they don't want to reveal kind of how they're feeling about certain things I thought this was a yeah revolutionary yeah. kind of program I've never seen anything like it no I I was unaware of it and I noticed that there was certain certain situations where people would say they would text me rather than phone and say could could we perhaps have a chat and then every time I was going to phone five minutes ten minutes before they would they would say oh actually it's not convenient can we do it again another time and this and once that would happen two or three times um, and then they would, I wouldn't hear from them. And there was a, there was one lady who phoned up um, and she said, could I work with a son? And when I was about to go around there, she said, look, I'm really sorry, but he's absolutely terrified because he's in the worst state he's ever been in. If you came around now, I don't think this is going to go well. And I just felt, hold on, I need to do something here because this, this isn't fair. Because, you know, the, these are people that need some, some help now. You know, it's not something that they're going to watch a motivational video and suddenly feel better. You know, they've got issues. They've got problems here which seriously need to be resolved. Mm. So I thought, OK, so what instead of having the, having the conversation on text or email where we would just discuss when to meet up, how about that they explain to me the difficulties they have? We, we could to and fro with, with text and, and email asking questions exactly, you know, get some more detail. Mm-hmm. And then what I would do, instead of having that face-to-face chat, I would video or, you know, video record a session. Mm-hmm. I would then send it to them so that they could watch it when they wanted without any pressure. They could watch it as many times as they wanted. And then they give me feedback. So they tell me how they are, what's, what's happening, um, how they progressed, all the challenges that, that, that have uh, cropped up. And then I would put in stage two. So now we, I just felt that that is something which had to happen. Is it ideal? Actually, to begin with, I thought, well, it, it's kind of a plan B. But what's happened is, is it's been really, really successful because mm. I think people are more inclined to open up when yeah. there's no, But having said that, I've, I've even had people now who say, oh, I'm, I'm ready for a chat now oh. because they, that trust is built up. But yeah. it, it makes no difference. It's essentially getting people to understand that you know there are ways that that we we all have infinite potential Mm. and when you're when you're in that space where you really don't feel that you can open up to anybody Mm. and you just kind of live this life 
which is which is terrifying and very very painful mm. i just think that's not fair mm. that's that's not that's that shouldn't happen now and it needs to be something so yeah that that was the motivation behind it it has worked really really well i'm really excited about it um and it's certainly something which i think will, will progress um over the coming uh, months and years yeah incredible incredible and it actually leads me quite nicely in to the lightning round which is sort of a short kind of quick fire question the, <laughs> the, 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 the first question is what is your why which I feel like you've really sort of well communicated that but yeah maybe if you just want to give anything more on what is your why why do you do what you do yeah, I think if I was to put it in a very, very short sentence, it would be to teach some very, very simple techniques that anyone can learn to as many people as humanly possible. I think that's that encapsulates it. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, definitely. And and so that they achieve that infinite potential, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And a book which changed your life? Ah, goodness <laughs> me. That is good. I think... Um, the chimp paradox. Ah, oh, okay, yes. Was, was because that that really started off, and I and I I learned that um, British Cycling were were working with with Steve Peters, and I thought I'm hearing a lot about this guy. I definitely need to read this. So you know, his chimp is kind of the, the emotional brain, if you like. Nice. Um, and uh, it was it, it was absolutely fascinating. It really was, and I found it. I mean, I'm sure you've you've experienced this when you read a book and you think, I I just want a book three days off and just read this <laughs> yeah oh um, god <laughs> Abs yeah absolutely uh, I, i'm yeah i mean i literally i've got like a whole stack of books and and that one is actually one that keeps coming up that i still haven't yeah. read and i'm like uh, right i've heard it so many times that i need to read it but because i've got yeah. 10 others on the list i'm like oh which order do i do this in you yeah. know but um <laughs> No, I will definitely get round to reading to reading that. Awesome. Um, and one thing that you couldn't live without? Uh, family. Nice. And um, your happy place? Yeah, beautiful. Um, it, you know, actually, it was, it was, we had this discussion only a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying that if I could be anywhere at all, mm -hmm. it would be. So, you know, you're, you're friends with my oldest son, George. Yeah. So, you know, George and Steph, um, my my twenty year old son Joe, my two smaller ones Corin Rowan, and my wife Bev. I think all of us just spending time together is is just as perfect as it can possibly be. Oh, so yeah, that, that would be incredible. it for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I know this year it's been a bit crazy. And Steph and George were meant to come back for Christmas time. They didn't get to come back, did they? No, no, no. sadly. No, yeah, right. and I think this year has kind of made us all realise that even more so, like how important that time spent with family is. And yeah, even though it's been horrendous, and um, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I know you, you, you actually got the virus which yeah obviously yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been fun and we chatted briefly about that before but I think one thing it has taught us it, and given us is that gratitude and appreciation for our loved ones and just yeah the simple things in life really yeah exactly exactly I, I know it's a bit of a cliche isn't it you know the, the, the you know the, that you say the simple things in life are the most important but I think yeah. when you uh, maybe it's when you get older I'm not too sure but I, th I think that's partly of it as well I think you know I'm sort of 52 now and and I look at you know my life and the important things um and there's always that you know the ambition I have a huge hunger for information I just love to learn mm. um but you know being around you know the, the the family is to me is 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 the the best it can possibly be yeah no that's that's beautiful that's really nice and hopefully next time I'm kicking about on the island we can meet for a coffee it'd be that nice would be to wonderful. Yeah, yeah meet face that to would face be for those yeah. of you listening Simon is I hope you don't mind me sharing this Simon, but it's from <laughs> the Isle of Wight which is where I spent a lot of my childhood um and growing up so yeah um I'll definitely be back at some point and we'll we'll catch a coffee that would be um, fantastic. Awesome. Simon, where can people find your work? Where's the best place? Website, uh, any social media platforms that you're on? Yeah, so uh, mindsettraininisleofwhite.com is, is the website. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have um, a page or a group, rather, which is uh, Ultimate Sports Mindset Made Easy. 
Um, and that's, you know, just join the group. There are videos that go up on a Tuesday to Friday uh, on Instagram as well. And Twitter, Twitter is sports mind. And uh, where else am I? I think that's about it, actually. <laughs> Instagram. I think you're on Instagram. Instagram, indeed. Yeah, yes. which is, I think it's just Simon Cap. Perfect. What I can do is grab all those handles off you in an email and I'll pop them in the yeah. show notes anyway. So Fantastic. Can, I appreciate that. You can get that's onto lovely. that really easy. And just to be clear, it's not just Isle of Wight-based clients. No, that work absolutely. With. Absolutely. Yeah. In actual fact, over the last um, the last few months, um, you know, I work with guys in sort of, you know, in Belgium and the States, uh, different parts of Europe, um, as well as the UK. So actually on the islands, um, I think there's only a couple of people I work with locally now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You need you need to rebrand. You need to be uh, mindset nutrition worldwide. <laughs> awesome. No, really good. Okay, thank you so much, Simon, for coming on today. Oh, I found that so well. useful. And I'm going to be sitting up straight, and I'm going to be doing my <laughs> breathing and, and the side to side. I've heard. I actually had heard about that before, but I'd never done it in practice. And you made it so simple to understand. So. Yeah, just thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom. And I think people are really going to benefit from this conversation. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with your show as well. It's absolutely fabulous. Oh, I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Simon. I know I certainly did. And as I mentioned in the intro, we've also got an episode out with Karen, which is all about career coaching. So go and check that one out to hear all of the juicy career tips she has. And I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks.